Well, good evening, and welcome to Springbrook Community Church's Good Friday service. We are so glad that you are uh, with us tonight. We hope that this is a uh, meaningful time uh, for you, wherever you might find yourself today, and with your family and whoever might be with you. Um, we are so glad that you are with us tonight. We have a special celebration. We're going to spend some time uh, in worship. We're going to do communion together as a church family, and I'm really looking forward to how God is going to move uh, in and through us together uh, through this very special service this evening. I'd like to ask you to do us a favor. If you would, uh, you can go to springbrook.org slash card. Uh, be sure to let us know that you are with us uh, this evening. We'd love the opportunity to uh, engage uh, with you, and so you can send us uh, pictures. Uh, if you're using Facebook, just take a picture of what you're doing this evening. Uh, if you've got your communion supplies set up or with, you're with your family or maybe you're by yourself just enjoying this time together, uh, be sure to share uh, with us uh, how we are experiencing this together with you. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're looking forward to a uh, fantastic time together this evening uh, as we prepare our hearts uh, for Good Friday and for the Easter weekend. We pray that you are blessed with our time together, and I'm looking forward to being with you um, this evening. Uh, we're going to spend a few minutes. Uh, we're going to sing for a little bit. Uh, nobody has to stand, so just enjoy the worship where you're at, and uh, we'll come back together in just a little bit. Hear now this call to worship. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. This evening, even while we are physically separated, we gather our hearts and minds together under the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. We gather to remember and to honor his suffering and sacrifice as we recall the gruesome scene when the perfect son of God was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. On this Good Friday, together we will remember and reflect on Christ's last seven words from the cross, the final statements that the son of man would make before descending into the darkness of the grave. May the Lord Jesus teach us all again tonight to see the weight and the significance, the horror and the beauty of the cross, that we might come before him in confession and thanksgiving as we learn to pick up our own crosses and follow after him. Together, let us behold the wondrous mystery of our almighty God's redemption plan. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Luke 23, 33, and 34. The Lord of glory is being impaled on a cross of shame. He has been seized by rude hands, stripped and roughly laid on his crossbeams. Roman soldiers callously drive the spikes through his hands and feet and raise aloft the instrument of torture. While still engaged in the gruesome task, his lips are seen to move. But what is he saying? Is he hurling curses at his torturers, or is he pleading for mercy? No, he is praying. And for whom? Is he praying for himself? Again, no. We are privileged to listen in on that wonderful word of intercession. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When the animosity of mankind toward God had found its fullest and final expression in the rejection and crucifixion of God's Son, when in the name of religion the leaders of the day had carried out the most outrageous crime of the ages, when the incarnate Creator was being hounded out of the world which He Himself had created, when mankind had done its worst, then Jesus uttered this word of wondrous intercession. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing.
One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal interjected, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. Three condemned men are hanging on three crude crosses, and the one on the center cross. What was his crime? Surely something heinous for him to suffer such a penalty and to be counted with such company. And yet, the record of his life is strangely inconsistent with the character of a criminal. He went about doing good. They marveled at the gracious words which came from his lips. In him was no sin. Even before he died, one of those crucified with him, from deep inner conviction, said, This man has done nothing wrong. It is important to note that our Lord did not answer the exact prayer of the regretful thief. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus did something greater. He granted the desire of his heart. The plea of the thief drew an immediate answer. He asked for a place in Christ's memory. Christ granted him a place in his kingdom.
When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. John 19, 26 and 27. More than 30 years before, when Mary had taken her precious child to the temple, she had been met by the aged and saintly Simeon, who, taking the child into his arms, said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Turning to Mary, he made the prophetic statement, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. That's the way it always is. Those who love most deeply also suffer most intensely. The greatest of all privileges for a mother brought with it the greatest of all sorrows. The mother of the man of sorrows must share the sorrows of her son. Our Lord might well have been excused had he been so engrossed in his own sufferings as to overlook the future of his mother, but not so. The heart that even on the cross felt for Mary is a heart that never changes. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came all over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. 
Matthew 27, verses 45 through 48. Martin Luther set himself to study this profound saying by Jesus, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luther exclaimed in amazement, God forsaken by God, who can understand that? When we look for a word to describe a scene of utmost desolation, we reach for the saying, God forsaken. But who can measure the content of that term when it is applied to our Lord? A child forsaken by its parents, a friend forsaken by another friend. These are poignant enough sorrows, but someone forsaken by God? And on top of that, it's the sinless Son of God who is forsaken by God the Father with whom he has enjoyed perfect fellowship. For the first time, an eternity of communion has been broken. The forces of evil have already battered Christ's soul, but now it is the wrath of heaven. Oh, what amazing love! For our sake, Jesus was willing to endure even this desolation of soul.
Later knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. John 19, 28. After Jesus had been subjected to the strain of the mock trials, then came the merciless scourging of the whip, then followed crucifixion itself with its many excruciating pains. Pierced hands and feet, thorn-pierced head, dislocated bones, distended limbs, three hours of indescribable agony, a raging fever, so that his parched and swollen lips struggled to form the plea, I am thirsty. Christians throughout the ages have drawn comfort from the fact that they have a God who did not insulate himself from the sufferings of people. For in all their affliction, he was afflicted. There's nothing in the realm of human pain that our Lord does not fully and intimately understand. The task is finished. 
When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. John 19, 30. The three words, it is finished, expressed in one Greek word in the Bible text, tetelestē. This word has been called the greatest single word ever uttered. So much in so little a word. And when in the fullness of time, Jesus, the Lamb of God, offered himself as a sinless, perfect sacrifice, he mustered his remaining strength to cry aloud, tetelestē. It is finished. To him had been entrusted the most stupendous task of the ages, the redemption of a world of lost and sin-enslaved people. Imagine what irrepressible joy surged through him as he cried triumphantly, It is finished. Now every obstacle between mankind and God would be removed. Every demand of the law would be satisfied. Nothing would be able to bar the way to God for those who come by way of faith in Christ. For Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By his atoning sacrifice on the cross, Christ opened up a way that no one can shut. So we've looked at six words of Jesus. The first words were, Father, forgive them. A reflection of Jesus' deity. As God, Jesus was in a position to forgive our sins. The second words were, today you will be with me in paradise. A reflection of the reality that we have in heaven. It's not just an imaginary place. It's a place that Jesus is physically. Heaven is real. Here is your son. Here is your mother. A reflection of Jesus' care for his family, and for others around him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ, in and of himself, was alone and took on the burden of our sins for the world. Only Christ alone can pay for our sins. I am thirsty, reflecting the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. And then we get to the six words, the six words of Jesus. And they were, it is finished. And the words, it is finished, are probably some of my favorite words. You see, it is finished is not the actual last words of Jesus, as we'll see in just a little bit. It is finished is not some kind of a gurgling sound that he made as he hung on the cross, just barely getting it out. It is finished is not a reflection of the thought that, oh, I'm just glad that this is over although that's the one that I probably can most identify with the most. You know, we have been in a period of quarantine, and up until this past week, I've been doing fine. But this last week, I hit a wall, and it wasn't until I was able to step back and reflect on who I am in Christ and what Good Friday was all about and what Easter was all about that God was able to help me push through a wall. I will be glad when this quarantine is over. Maybe you're getting tired of doing homework at school or you've got projects around the house or you've been in the house and I think there's a sense that we're all waiting for this quarantine to be over. That's not what Jesus was saying when he said, it is finished. It's not that it's just that he was glad something was over. It is finished is a cry of victory. It's a triumphal cry. The work that he came to do is done and it is done forever. It is done for good. And it is the accomplished work for us at the cross. Found only in the book of John, the word testeleci means it is finished. It is an accounting term, which means paid in full. It would be as if somebody came up to you and just said, hey, I've, I've paid off your house in full. Wouldn't that be nice? Or if somebody came up to you and said, hey, I've paid for your car. I paid off your credit card debt. 
I've paid off your student loans. I've taken your debt and I've paid it in full. That is what Jesus has done when he says it has been finished. He has paid for our sins in full. Jesus is declaring that the debt that was owed to his father has been completely wiped away on our behalf, completely and forever. Jesus eliminated the debt that was owed by mankind for the death and the sin that we have to endure today. In Romans 5.12, it says that sin came into the world through one man. And that through that death, we, it is something that we all are going to experience because of the sin that we have in us. And sin is something that we all have experienced. It is like a virus. And I can tell you right now, you don't need to be tested for it. We all have fallen victim to sin. It's not just a behavior. It's a condition that we have as a result of being human. God is perfect, and we are not. And that sin is what has separated us from God. But Romans 5 would go on to say, How much more has the grace of God and the free gift of salvation by grace come to us through Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 3 reminds us that mankind, even though it is sinful, has been reconciled to a holy God. God has reconciled each of us to himself through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with that as believers today. The suffering that Jesus has endured while on earth, especially in his last hours, has come to an end. And God's will for Jesus was accomplished through his perfect obedience to the Father. But most importantly, the power of sin and Satan over us has been brought to an end. It has been finished. It has been paid in full. It is complete. It is over. Jesus completed the work of redemption and salvation. And we can, by faith, live as new creation in Christ. Scripture says that the old has gone and the new has come. We are new in Christ. The finished work of the cross is the beginning of new life. For all who were once dead in their trespasses and their sin, but who now have been made alive with Christ. Today, for us, we are living in a time between two major milestones. We live in between the finished work of Christ at the cross. That work that he had to accomplish on our behalf is finished, is a milestone moment. It is why we celebrate the year 2020 today. It was transforming to the entire world. The work that he had for us was finished at the cross in anticipation, though, of his second coming. You see, we live in the church age now. The kingdom of heaven has begun in Christ, and it will be perfected and fully realized when Jesus returns to this world, and this world comes to an end. We live in between those two milestones. The night before Jesus was crucified, he had one last meal with his disciples. And at this meal, he broke bread And he shared it with his friends. And he said, eat. This is reflective of my body that was broken for you. And then he took a cup and he lifted it and he said, drink. This cup represents my blood. It represents my shed blood. It it reflects a, a new covenant that has been poured out for the sacrifice for many. Tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate communion together. And I hope you've had an opportunity to get your communion supplies together because we're going to invite you to participate in communion in your home while we participate in communion here at our church, with our church. And so it's an opportunity for us to celebrate communion together. But we're doing this as a reflection of who we are in Christ as we anticipate his second coming. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul writes, As often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. It's a reminder of the sacrificial love that God has for us. It's a reminder of his unbelievable, his unconditional, unrelenting love for us. And it's also a reminder that we live in between these two periods. There's the finished work of Christ on the cross, and there's the eager anticipation of his second coming. And so we are continuing a 2,000-year-old tradition in our homes together for our first online communion. 
literally in the history of this church, it has been fun to see the elements that people have been gathering together for their communion. We've seen cheese crackers, we've seen Cheez-Its, we've seen Triscuits, we've seen oyster crackers, we've seen matzah, and we've seen various juices and drinks. And I want to encourage you to take a picture of what you're doing this evening and share that with us so that we can participate in this sacred moment with you together. Whatever elements that you're choosing to use tonight as we head into this communion time, it's my prayer that this time would focus you on the love that the Father has for you through the gift of his Son, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this evening that if you have a relationship with Christ, to step back for a moment and to reflect on the, on the greatness of what that means. Communion is an opportunity for us to be in fellowship with Jesus, just like he was with his disciples on that day that he celebrated that last communion. It's an opportunity for us to reflect our own hearts, to make sure that there's nothing that stands in between our relationship with him. The Bible says that we're to evaluate ourselves when we come before him with communion. And so it's an opportunity for us to reflect and to give thanks uh, for his call on our life and for the hope that we have in Christ. It's also an opportunity for us to look forward with eager anticipation to his second coming and to all that we have, all the promises of God that we have that we are looking forward to in his second coming. And we're not just waiting for his second coming. John 10 10 says that we can have life and we can have it to the full today. And so as we enter into this communion time, I want to encourage you, either with your family or with your friends, or if you're by yourself this evening, to spend the next few moments to celebrate communion, reflecting on who you are in Christ. I want to encourage you to lift up that bread and remember it, touch it, feel it. And as you're chewing it, remember that it was a reflection of Jesus's body that was broken for you. And as you lift that cup and you drink the juice, whatever you're drinking and whatever your beverage is of choice, remember that this is a reflection of a new covenant that we have in Christ. Jesus did not come to replace the law. He came to fulfill it. And the new covenant that we're able to celebrate in our relationship with God has everything to do with who we are in Christ. And that juice that you're drinking this evening is a reflection of the blood that was spilt for you. And so I want to encourage you to take these next few moments as a family uh, with yourself just to reflect and to meditate. Um, Our worship team is going to lead us in this next song together. Uh, But let's take these next few moments just to reflect on the hope that is ours in Christ. And then we'll come back together in just a little bit.
It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23:46. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus dismissed his spirit. He chose the death of the cross. He could have saved himself, but for our sake he did not do so. Jesus has told his disciples, I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. He committed his spirit into the Father's hands. This is why we who by faith have received eternal life should have no fear of death. Our spirits are committed into the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. Jesus said, My Father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. When we look death in the eye, let us look on it as Jesus did. Oh, oh, oh. 
Let's pray together. O Lord Jesus Christ, suffering Son of God, our minds cannot grasp the length and breadth, the height and depth of your love for us. Sinners, poured out in your precious blood, our minds cannot grasp your unfathomable love, but our hearts behold it tonight and we are undone. May we choose tonight not to hurry away from the cross. May we linger near, sitting in the darkness with you just a little bit longer to survey, to reflect, to ponder your suffering and your death. May we consider carefully and well the preciousness of your sacrifice for us, the greatness of your mercy. And may the grandness of your love stir in us a desire to walk in the way of the cross, that we may reflect your love, humility, and selflessness to the world around us. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. And now, dear friends, I encourage to spend a few moments in silence after we close to personally reflect on Christ's sacrifice for you. And even as you dwell in the darkness of this Good Friday, may you begin to turn your eyes to the Sunday morning light that is coming. Yes, tonight we remember and honor Christ's death, but praise God that we already know this is not the end of the story. Praise God that Sunday is coming. The peace of God be with you. Good night.